We've been studying the ABCs of Christianity, going through that alphabet, all those 26 letters, and we've been considering the fundamentals of the faith. And today we get to the letter K, and K is for knowledge. Knowledge. The foundation upon which is this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Christianity is not a better felt than told religion. It's a fact-based religion based on that fundamental fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, realizing that Jesus the Christ arose from that grave triumphantly, from that tomb, Romans 1, 4, we have that fundamental fact. In fact, Paul even talked about that fundamental fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, when he talked about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what we have. You know, the message of Christ is that which is that fact. And we need to know about that resurrection, don't we? Because Paul had already talked about it. He gives, he gives us that message. And so Christianity is a tall religion, isn't it? We need to be taught about those things. Now, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, just before Jesus leaves this earth and ascends to the Father, he gives his apostles a commission. It's called the Great Commission. And that is to go, therefore, and teach the whole world and preach, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Very important that we understand that, that as he gave that commission, he was given all a power, all authority. To go, therefore, and then preach and go into all the world and teach. So Christianity is a taught religion. And Christianity taught, Christianity taught religion must be, number one, must be studied. We must study. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2.15, one must study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He is interested in studying God's word and he understands that the word of God is powerful and it is precious. And he better cut straight or he gets into trouble. If he wavers to the, to the right or to the left, he will get into trouble. So we need to study the so thyself approved unto God. Not only that, Christianity is something that must be learned, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. God will have all men to be saved and coming to a knowledge, there's our word, of the truth. Now, it's a correct statement to say that truth saves. But know this, that truth also must be learned as well. It must be accepted it must be applied if my soul is to be saved 
by divine truth. So we're talking about a knowledge of that truth even today. Consider with me this passage in the Old Testament, Proverbs 10 and verse 14. He says, wise men lay up knowledge. You see, there's our word once again. Wise men are seeking wisdom and therefore they want to be knowledgeable of the precepts of God. And then Hosea would write that these words came from Jehovah himself, that my people are destroyed for the lack of what? Knowledge. Very important, Hosea 4.6. So we need wisdom that really comes from above, and we need it to receive the wisdom that comes from above. We are in trouble if we don't receive that wisdom, and we are in trouble as individuals also. Our families are going to be in trouble as well. Not only that, the church of our Lord will also be in trouble as well. Nations will be in trouble if we reject the very knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that comes from on high. Any congregation of the Lord's people that does not emphasize the importance of biblical knowledge will not always be a congregation of the Lord's people. It simply will not be the case that New Testament Christianity can continue to spread when biblical knowledge is suppressed. And so we are interested in preaching the gospel because Christianity is a message that is to be taught and we are to have a knowledge of the Word of God. Now, what is then the opposite of knowledge? Well, the opposite of knowledge is ignorance, right? To be unlearned. Now, all of us are ignorant about some things and maybe many things. As a matter of fact, there is so much to know in this old world where we are far more ignorant, perhaps more than we actually properly think we are. But ignorance is just simply a lack of knowledge or of something. There are many things of which I, I have no knowledge. Many things of which you know about that I really don't know about. And then many things that I probably, or maybe a few things that I might know about that you don't know about. And there may be a, somebody says, well, that's, ignorance is bliss. Well, Maybe sometimes it is. Ignorance is bliss. But there are some things I just really don't want to know about. And maybe you probably feel the same way. But I do know this. We cannot afford to be biblically ignorant. Not at all. There are some things that we must know. And we must know the Bible. Because the consequences are so great. Now... More than just once, the Apostle Paul tells us, do not be ignorant. Do not be unlearned. You remember when he came into the city of Athens and about Acts 17, though? He beheld that idolatrous city and he marveled. He couldn't believe it. He even said, there's an idol to an unknown God right there. The one that you ignorantly worship, I'm going to make him known to you. 
This idol, I'm going to declare unto you this unknown God whom you ignorantly worship. And I'm going to make you aware of him. And I'm going to make you knowledgeable of who he really is. And in verse 30 of Acts 17, he goes on to say, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. There... For is a lack of biblical understanding and knowledge. But that's not an excuse. And especially to God. That is not an excuse with God. He expects us to understand what Christianity is a, being a taught religion. Therefore, it must be studied and we must learn it if we desire our souls to be saved. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we, there were those who had denied the very second coming of Christ. And Peter says that they are willfully ignorant of something. That they are willfully ignorant that at one time God had judged the world and he did so through the great flood. But they don't want to believe that he said they are willfully ignorant of it. And therefore, when it comes to the second coming of Christ and the impending judgment, they just scoffed at that idea. But he says they desire to be ignorant. Have you ever desired to be ignorant? (laughs) But they're designed to be ignorant about that because they choose not to hear it. They choose not to understand it. They do not have the desire to be knowledgeable about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul also talked about this in Romans 10 and verse 2. When he says they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. There's our word again, isn't it? Zeal for God, but there's some enthusiasm, but it's not well placed, is it? Zeal for God, but not in accordance to divine knowledge. Now that leads me to something else. That much is being accepted today in the name of tolerance, isn't it? Sad. Let me say this about tolerance, and that's a a good word. As a matter of fact, as, as Christians, we need to be a tolerant people, don't we? There's no doubt about it. But what does tolerance mean? Well, if you understand the dictionary version of tolerance, it just means forbearance. Uh, It means endurance. Are, Are we not commanded and directed through the Holy Scriptures to be forbearing with other people? Yes. To endure with other people? Yes. But know this about tolerance. While tolerance may have to do with forbearance and endurance, It does not have to do with acceptance. It does not have to do with acceptance. It does not mean that we just accept something that is not true. It does not mean that we just go along with some belief or ideal that is contrary to Scripture. Or go along with some lifestyle that is not approved by God. But everything today supposedly is to be accepted in the name of tolerance. And I have found that some of the most intolerant people are those who are promoting this very idea of tolerance. They have no tolerance whatsoever 
For those who believe the Bible is God's word and that Christianity is just only one true religion. No tolerance. They have no acceptance for that at all. And I've also noticed this in the world in which we live, that rights have become more important than what is right. Right? Rights have become more important than what is right. People proclaim, I want my rights. But maybe the question needs to begin with this. What is right? Before we talk about your rights, my rights, and what is right, uh, there again we see the importance of biblical knowledge. Many of the institutions in America, they were designed to instill knowledge in our youth. Quite frankly, today, they suppress knowledge. They really do. They suppress genuine knowledge, which is actually rooted and grounded in truth. Go with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 11. And I want you to notice this particular passage for sure. Luke chapter 11 Here Jesus is pronouncing some various woes upon those who had opposed him. But listen to the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers. Listen to verse 52 of chapter 11, where Jesus says, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. The key of knowledge. Then he goes on to say, Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. Young people oftentimes will go to an institution of higher learning only to say that the keys of knowledge have been taken away. Because those in positions of authority, those who teach, refuse truth. And therefore they suppress those truths from those who would like to learn. And that goes a long way with a more permissive society. Judges 21 and verse 25, it clearly states that in those days there was no king of Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I, you see, that's a very subjective view, isn't it? When we do things that are right in our own eyes, but more than anything... Those who are in some of these institutions of higher learning, academic education institutions, more than anything, they want to get rid of knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus the Christ. Now, as was read by Brother Bill Ingram this morning in Colossians chapter 2, we find that it is in God and in His Son, Jesus the Christ, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are to be found. If you leave him out, you, you can't have a whole lot of knowledge, can you? You cannot be considered very, very intelligent if you're going to leave out God and his son, Jesus Christ. Dostoevsky, the famed Russian novelist and religious philosopher, he said this, Without God, all things are permissible. What? Without God, all things are permissible. And why then do we have those who want to remove God and His Son, Jesus Christ, from every vestige of society? 
because without God, all things are permissible. It was Isaiah who wrote in the long ago, Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto you that call evil good and good evil. Why, why do people do that? Why do, they, why do they call good evil and evil good? Why do they call darkness light and light for darkness? Why do they put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet? There are three fundamental reasons that I believe is the reason why they do that. One is just simply a lack of knowledge. That's just it, number one. People are lacking in knowledge of God's word. That's why you hear things that are totally prosperous being spoken today by supposedly learned men, right? It's just a lack of knowledge. But then number two, it's fear. It's fear. There are those that are in the religious realm and in the political realm and in education that fear the backlash. If you take a stand for something that's biblically right and true, that creates fear. Right? And then the third reason we have those who call good evil, evil good, is because everybody else is believing it. And I guess that's what I should believe too. I read in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 that the majority is going to go to that place of destruction. I don't want to be in the majority. And just because everybody else is believing it, that I have to believe it too. Listen to what the renowned creationist Dr. Henry Morris said in his book called The Twilight of Evolution, written over 55 years ago in 1963. He said the main reason that the most educated people believe in evolution is simply because they have been told that most people that are educated believe in evolution. That's why they believe in it. He goes on to say that it's sort of like a peer pressure. Evolution has been taught for so long as a fact of which all reputable scientists believe that people have come to accept evolution as true. So everyone believes it. And so that's enough reason for people to believe in it themselves. Now we have talked about some of those things before. Evolution really cannot be proved at all. It cannot be proved at all. As a matter of fact, the famed evolutionist Sir Arthur Keith said, you can't prove evolution, it's unprovable. And he said, but we have to believe it. Do you know why? Because we can't believe in the alternative. We can't believe the other. And so that's why they believe it. In other words... They refuse to believe in God Almighty. That's why they believe it. Now we've discussed that. We've talked about that. Evolution cannot cross three bridges, at least three. One is this. We know that non-life cannot produce life. You cannot get something out of nothing. <laughs> there is nothing here. 
all of a sudden there's life. There's something. Not possible. Cannot happen. Life comes from life. The evolutionist can't get over that because it's simple. It's easy. Young people here can understand that. You cannot get life from non-life. Number two, you may have changed within a species, but one species does not become another species. Fundamentally cannot happen. You know why they call it a missing link? Because it's still missing. Guess what? A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, eternity will come and gone and nobody will have seen that missing link. Because it's missing, because there is no link. Right? And then somebody, or then there's the law of design. Design demands what? A designer. Right? It's just that simple. And so then somebody comes up with this preposterous idea of evolution and they cling to that and, and they teach that. Now people will believe something like that for what reason? Well, they're not knowledgeable in truth. They have no knowledge in the truth. That God spoke this world into existence, a being that's superior and anterior to this universe in which we live. That God spoke this world into existence. He has that Power. And the heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament showeth his handiwork. Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2. And people reject that knowledge. They reject that knowledge. They have no interest in that knowledge. Or number two, they're fearful. They're fearful, aren't they? They don't want the backlash. It even happens in our schools. One of our young people goes in and stands up for creation Oh, the backlash that's there because they stood up for creation. Then number three, I guess it's right. Why? Because everybody else is believing it. Everybody else thinks it's right. No. Despite how utterly ridiculous the theory of evolution really is, but then we must consider something else. And let's build on that. What about the idea of abortion? Now, this one thing I know about the God that we serve, he is a God of life. I mean, we can go all the way back to the very opening pages of the book of Genesis. And we, what do we see there? God creating life, right? He's creating life. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, he said, when it comes to life and death, he says, you choose life. You choose life. I want you to choose life. God is a, give, a, a giver of life. He's the God of life. Not only that, you can turn to Psalm 139, other passages, and see that even in the womb, there God sees what's happening. And that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Where? In the womb. But some say to Gay, well, that, today that's just a blob of tissue. Not life yet. But at what point does what in the womb become life? If not at the very beginning of conception, when? And so it is that some people believe this idea of abortion, that it has to be something that is all right. And everybody's choice based upon number one, 
a lack of knowledge of what the Bible teaches concerning life beginning at conception. Number two, because of the fear of the backlash. You see that in political circles and in religious circles as well. And I personally believe that abortion is wrong. And personally, I believe that what my religion teaches me, you know that really it is a human life. But I can't impose that on somebody, somebody might say. But let me tell you something. When somebody is being murdered, I'm taking that into my own hands. Whether it was in the womb or outside the womb. You do not believe what's in the womb is an innocent human life. If you believe abortion is all right. There's no way you can believe that unless you have a lack of knowledge, unless you're fearful, unless you've just heard all of your life that is just everybody's choice. What about the choice of that child in the womb? And so you've chosen to believe that because everybody else around says it's a woman's right to choose what she does with her own body regardless of whether or not it's alive or not. We're talking about a lack of biblical knowledge this morning in our world today, and that leads to something else. What about the marriage relationship? What about the marriage relationship? Genesis chapter 2, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a woman. Making a woman where she's not just like the man, though she's similar in many ways, And when Adam awakened from his deep sleep and he saw the woman, he loved what he saw. And God knew what he was doing. She was just right. There was something within him that was crying out for this helpmate. I mean, he looked upon the animal kingdom and he saw there was male and female. But where's his? Of course, it wouldn't be any of those of the animal kingdom. And so then God saw and supplied his need. And then we have the definition of marriage, Genesis 2, 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's the definition of marriage. No court in America, no politician in America, no group of celebrities or liberal theologians that can change that. And you want to see about a society that its days are numbered? You just read Romans chapter 1. You read about what God says concerning men with men and women with women. And then all of a sudden we try to make a stand for what's right? (laughs) What's the answer? Knowledge is the answer. Knowledge. Why would anybody say that homosexuality or gay marriage is all right in the sight of God? I'll take your three reasons. I'll tell you there are three reasons why. Number one, they have no knowledge of what God says. Number two, the fear of a backlash. They understand the political climate in which we're living. I mean, you can listen to how some politicians in both parties are, are really stepping around this issue, right? And number three, we have just heard it for so long now. Well, it's just readily accepted. That, I mean... That's just an alternative lifestyle. And so I guess it is. You know, young people back in the 1970s, we would watch these situation comedies. And that's when it was first introduced. 
Norman Lear was, was a producer at that time. He, he produced All in the Family and, and a lot of these other uh, uh, threes, threes a crowd or something like that. But anyway, uh, some of these shows like that. And these producers had understood that if you could get people like us to laugh at something along the way, we, we wouldn't take it seriously anymore. And that's what's happening. And that's where we find ourselves today, the lack of knowledge. That's what it is. But what about matters regarding salvation? Very, very important. Everybody that claims to be inherent to Christianity surely would say Jesus Christ is the Savior. Let's listen to what he says, because this is what Jesus said. He said, many people call me Lord, but he said, here's the thing I haven't figured out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke 6, 46. What does he say about salvation? He says, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's what Jesus said, John 12, 48. Luke 13, 3. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what Jesus said. And he goes on to say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. That's what Jesus said. When Peter was preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost, he preached about the cross of Christ and his glorious resurrection. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, Acts 2, 38. It's just that simple. It's simple to repent, and it's simple to be baptized. And yet, most houses of worship throughout America today that identify themselves as Christian, you will hear anything but that being taught. Anything else but that. You may hear something like this. Well, right now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, accept Jesus Christ into your life. Where is that? Where is that? Or maybe you don't have to do anything at all. Just be a good moral person, right? But you see, here's the reason that people accept that kind of teaching, the masses of people. Number one, it's the lack of knowledge. It's the lack of knowledge. They just don't know any better. For the preacher said it was so, and it must be true. Not necessarily Number two, it's fear. Fear. What's happening in churches of Christ today where the gospel plan of salvation is being downplayed? Well, it's the fear to offend somebody. Number three, well, that's what everybody else is teaching. It must be right. What about the church? Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Singular. That's fundamental, isn't it? Jesus built one church and there is one body, Ephesians 4.4. 4. Division was condemned back in 1 Corinthians 1.10 by the Apostle Paul. But what do you hear today? Well, you know, you've probably seen the bumper sticker. Well, choose the church of your choice. It's not your choice. It's Christ's choice. He's the one that built it. He wants you to be a, a member of his church. One church is just as good as another. Pick whatever you want. What's the problem here? Well, I believe that number one, it's a lack of knowledge. And it's a lack of knowledge 
of the scriptures. They don't hear those being taught because of refusal to believe in God and in his word. Number two is the fear of a backlash. It's quite easy to be ecumenical, isn't it? It's quite easy just to go along and get along. And then number three as well. Well, everybody else believes that. And since everybody else believes that, well, it must be right. Not necessarily. Know this. Christianity is an exclusive religion. Christianity, Jesus said, is a taught religion. And therefore, you got to study it. And if you refuse to study it, well, you're going to pay the consequences. And I will too. And not only that, it has to be learned. For God said, you have to come to a knowledge of the truth to be saved. He wants everybody to be saved, but understand, you got to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we are talking about Bible knowledge today. Very, very important, right? Listen, Christianity is about everything that is good and right. Everything that's good and right. Christianity has our best interest at heart, and it really, really does. Therefore, gain knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. Get a knowledge of Christianity. You see, one thing that I've learned as I've gotten older, that I can have a whole lot more confidence in what I know rather than what I feel. That's it. As a matter of fact, sometimes I feel strong spiritually, but at other times I don't feel strong spiritually. But I can always know what to believe, and I can always know what is right and what is wrong. And I can always know where to turn. That's what knowledge of the Scriptures will do. And the knowledge of the Holy Scriptures this very morning can save your soul. What did God say? He said, choose life. But was he talking about this physical life here on this earth? No, he's talking about eternal life. Choose eternal life in heaven with him. That's where he wants to be. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Can we help you even this morning to realize that without Christ in your life, there's no hope? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you willing to, to make the necessary changes called repentance? Are you willing to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ and then put the Lord on a baptism to come up out of the waters of grave, walking in newness of life, a child of God, a Christian? I hope that you will. You might be here already done those things and you haven't been living faithfully. Is it because of knowledge? Is it because of fear? Or is it because you're just following along with everybody else because everybody else believes it? Whatever it might be, let's make things right even today. Repent of those things. Pray that God will forgive you. We'll pray with you and for you as well. The need is now. We're about to sing this song of encouragement to help you understand what you need to do to make the necessary changes. Won't you come? As together we stand and sing.